Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Diaz and welcome back to the Know-It-Alls podcast. Today we're concluding our series entitled No Justice, No Peace with a special question and response episode. You submitted questions and we're going to attempt to respond. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to the know-it-alls. How you doing, Ryan? Man, I'm doing good. I'm excited for this episode. It, we're seven episodes. This is episode seven. Wow, number of completion. <laughs> Bible numbers. Like, no, right. I'm excited. This is that's crazy. Pretty awesome. So as of this point, um, we've had over 700 listeners wow. to the podcast in the first month and a half. That's nuts. Of listening. Listeners from the United States, the United Kingdom, Romania, Austria, Germany, Italy, Canada. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It's international. And no promotion. No. (laughs) No real social media presence. Just word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So thank you guys for supporting us and listening. And we're excited that we get to answer your questions. This is where you get to participate in the conversation. Absolutely. Because we're a community. Yeah. We're a community for the curious. Absolutely. So if you guys don't know, we're, we're completing our series, No Justice, No Peace, where episodes five and six, we talked about social justice, the Bible, what it says about it, and how do we participate in justice in our daily lives. And this episode, we just took your questions on social justice and the Bible, and we're going to dive in and see what we have to say. Absolutely. So um, let's start from the beginning. Uh, this was a question uh, from a friend of mine. Uh, her name's Laura. Uh, and she, she's really out came, the gate. Yeah, came, came out swinging. Um, <laughs> so she said, as the church, and you know, as you know, you Ryan and I, uh, how do we handle race issues? Um, race issues, I think, especially in the United States, are very prevalent when it comes right. to the topic of social justice. It's incredibly tied. Yeah. Um, um, so how does the how does the church or us as individuals uh, both both? I mean, hopefully, I'm a part of the church. Um, well, yeah, I, I think so if we're going to answer this primarily through the lens of, like, the church. Yeah. Well, I think you have to acknowledge they exist. I, yeah. I think we kind of talked about this a little about next episode. It kind of starts with empathy. Mm-hmm. It starts with acknowledging that other people who are not like you experience things because of their color, their skin, or where they're from, or their yeah. social economic backgrounds. And before you could even address it, you have to acknowledge it exists, which is, I think, is hard in American church. Why? I mean, that's a loaded question. (laughs) Um, I think it's hard because I think the idea of the American project, and especially the top, we talked about this in our first series, um, Red, White, and Blue Jesus, the tie of Christianity and the American dream. And, you know, I think a lot of people genuinely believe that we were past those issues. Right. We elected Obama, first black president, and all of a sudden America's not racist anymore. Right. And definitely in church, we don't <gasps> have any racist ideology or thinking. Oh, never. Um, whether it's covertly or overtly. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it just stops starts with acknowledgement. It's hard, but I think that's where it starts at least. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would agree with you. It starts with uh, saying that there is an issue. Uh, and also, I think this is something that the church takes a very hard stance on. Yeah. Um, I don't think that there is any mincing of words here. There's no middle ground. No, or there shouldn't. No. Like you shouldn't be scared to talk about it. No, or address it because it's racism is wrong. Right, biblically. 
Biblically, like, like it's, it's wrong. not just a American social thing. It it's not just a, like a left wing ideology. No, it's no, like the Bible. It is the Bible. The Bible would argue that all people are created in the image of God. Therefore, um, none is greater than another based on skin color, right? Yeah. Um, so the church, the church would take a hard stance on it. Uh, quite frankly, especially in America, yeah. Uh, especially in America, the church is not only a social uh, power; it's also a political one. Yeah. Um, so I think that you know whether whether right or wrong, you know we we've had that conversation. Yeah. The place of the church in in American politics, but but the fact of the matter is this: we do have political power, uh, and we can leverage said power. Um, right. So I, I've always thought that it's it's weird. Um, that the church global or, or let's let's even talk about America. The church in America has not used its political power in that way, unless they were quote unquote black churches, right? And so I think for people in America and the church in America, we have to get back to the heart of the gospel, right? And the heart of the gospel, part of this new kingdom coming through Jesus. This kingdom that we're supposed to exemplify and be part of that new kingdom is standing up for the vulnerable and the oppressed. So the question is, how do we handle race issues? We tackle them head on as the church. Right. We don't like do it covertly. No. We don't do it like on the hush hush. We don't mask it as something else. No, no. We when we see oppression, we tackle it head on. Right. Um, Because Jesus and God. Seems to tackle it head on. Right, yeah. Throughout I mean, the scripture. We, we spoke about this in our in our uh, previous episode, but the church operates in what we call, um, uh, or has the ability to do what's called prophetic critique. Yeah, um, so explain that. that. Uh, so yeah, what that means is uh, back in the Old Testament, God would raise up uh, a group of people known as the prophets, and they would be God's voice to a specific people, and they would call out all of the people of Israel's dirt. Right, they would say, "You guys are treating the poor unfairly. You guys are uh, worshiping other gods, practicing these really weird things." Uh, and God wants you to stop. The yeah. church has the same authority to yeah. to give prophetic critique. So in America, when we see something like racism, we have the authority to say racism is not what God wants. Yeah, this is not the heart of God. Right. And especially given our country, imagine if just the church, right? Let's say let's say we fix all of our internal issues, right? And we'll talk about uh, church segregation a little bit later on because uh, that was a question that came up. Yeah. Uh, imagine how huge of an impact that would have on the United States. Mm. If ju- just the church, right? Just the church figured it out. If we actually were the church. Yeah. Corporately. Corporately. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. Mm-hmm. Food for thought. Right. Yeah, very much so. Uh, so kind of continuing in the same vein, uh, a lot of uh, the questions uh, were centered around practical social justice as a believer. Um, how, so how do we participate in practical social justice? Yeah, what do we do? Um, yeah, I think we kind of touched on this a bit in detail last episode. Yeah. But I think just to reiterate, um, again, I'll say it again. It starts with empathy, mm-hmm. um, mourning with those who mourn. Mm-hmm. And seeing their problems as my own. But practically, it's giving a voice to the oppressed. It's it's standing 
in a very Christian, he's standing in the gap mm. for those who are marginalized and pushed to the boundaries of society. And pr- that's that's one practical, like, overall thematic way. I mean, sure. I mean, it's not so practical, but it should inform that as a church, we should have programs and methodology right. and ministry that directly impacts those oppressed groups mm. and helps empower them, works with them to help better their situations and circumstances. Um at our church community, um, that we often use this phrase that we want to help people not just in their situation, but out of their situation. And so the church, practically, and you as a believer, you should find a way to participate in helping people out of their situations by partnering with them. Um, yeah, I think I, yeah, it's just it comes out. Yeah, if you want to get really, really down to nitty gritty, I mean, we could talk for th- five, six hours on right. detailed, practical, pr- practical program, programmatic. Yeah. But I think a practical thing is walking in awareness daily. Um, I think that's super important, just to be aware of these issues. And so, I mean, it's just what we have to do. Right. So we are aware of the issue, uh, and then we figure out practical ways uh, right. to, to deal with it. So system- systematically, as the church, as uh, agents of reconciliation and agents of bringing people together and, and loving people. Um, so I guess uh, on to our next question. Uh, this is an argument I've heard uh, pretty often. Um, I see it a lot on Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, that Christianity, or what, what do we say when, when um, someone brings up the argument that Christianity is the white man's religion or the religion of the oppressor? Yeah, so that's a a blatant mistruth Hmm. because the scriptures, so the old Testament, the new Testament scriptures were created thousands of years ago in the middle East and did not have contact with the Western, with what we know as modern Western culture Mm -hmm. till hundreds and hundreds of years after the fact. And you can even argue what would eventually become the white man's religion that was used during imperialism and colonialism, um, that didn't occur th- until thousands of years later. Right. Well, re- after really the quick, writing of scriptures. Let, let's kind of let's kind of unpack what the idea is. Sure, yeah, right. I kind of jumped the gun. I get frustrated. <laughs> no, I hear like you. this is the white man's religion, but none of the authors of the Bible were white. Right. Jesus wasn't. He's not Swedish Jesus. Right. He's no. Jewish. Palestinian Jesus from right. Palestine in the right. Roman Empire, like exactly Galilee, Nazareth, Bethlehem, like right. these are all very. He lived in Egypt for a little bit, like right. He was not like you know you can't be in that. He wasn't from Ireland, like. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but so so what? what yeah, break it down. Right. I jumped to the gun. No, it's bit. it's cool. It's cool. Um, so what the argument is is that uh, historically. Many uh, regimes uh, would use Western regimes. Western regimes, yeah, Western regimes specifically. Um, for example, in, in uh, the uh, English Empire, right, the the, the British Empire, yeah, um, even parts of the Roman Empire after uh, Constantine, yeah, after Constantine, um, and several Western empires would use the Bible as a means of oppressing other groups. So, for yeah. example, forced conversions and things like that. Yeah, forced forced conversions. Uh, the Crusades is another huge example of not just oppression, but but all out attack and murder in the name of God. Um, 
uh, American slavery, uh, that system was used, uh, certain passages in scripture were used as means of telling slaves that their place was. Yeah, some of those passages were like the idea in Genesis, the mark of Cain. Yeah. That was speaking about someone's skin color. Mm -hmm. Um, The line of Ishmael was another Mm -hmm. kind of misappropriated scripture that was used to subjugate people of color. Right. So yeah, continue, sorry. Yeah, no, uh, Paul talks about uh, as, as a slave... Obey your masters. Yeah, obey your masters, uh, right? Um, so, so we have verses like this in the Bible. So what the argument is, is that uh, it seems as though Christianity is the religion in which the white man has imposed on the rest of the world because he was given power. Right. Um, so it's not necessarily truth or goodness, but in fact... It causes pain and hurt and separation. Right. Because when I think if I'm a person of color, mm-hmm. and specifically if I live in America, and I think back to maybe I had a great-great-grandmother who was enslaved. Right. And the Bible was used right. to do- make her docile sure, or and complicit and compliant, then the message of Jesus is tinged and marred by that tension I have from my family's story. Right. Because they didn't believe anything uh, close to Christianity before that, uh, but then after, right. this it, almost invasive force comes in uh, and, and takes over everything. Yeah, I think also when you see imperialism, um, you have a lot of missionaries um, that <laughs> if they're in colonialism and imperialism who pop up, and they're not really missionaries. They're... Um, working with colonial forces to Mm -hmm. help placate the native peoples. Right. And basically, we talked about forced conversions was a real occurrence where Mm -hmm. it was like, hey, convert to Christianity. Or we'll kill you. Or we'll murder you and your family. Right. Um, So, yeah. So, I think... And there's a lot of history behind this. We can't get into all of it. But these were real things that occurred. And so... What do we do with that? Right. So, I think... Number one, I think it's a fair critique Mm -hmm. because of how Christianity has abused, been abused and used by Western culture. Yeah. To um, oppress people of color, indigenous peoples. Right. However, it is also an unfair critique because it's not what the Bible actually says. Right. You can't judge a belief system based on its misuse. You can only judge it based on its proper use. Right. If the Bible intended for us to separate people according to the color of their skin or to marginalize groups of people, then you can critique that if that was built into the system somehow. But yet the Bible explicitly says the opposite. Right. And so I think while it's a fair it's a fair critique on Western civilization... Mm-hmm. And in white empires and colonial and imperialist imperialist forces, it is not a fair critique of the Bible because it's not reading the Bible within the context of it provides for itself. And we're projecting our history Hmm. onto the Bible that the biblical authors have no clue. Right. So when Paul is saying slaves obey your masters, we see the word slave Mm -hmm. and we project our 200-year history 
of slavery. 400. 400 <laughs> years, sorry. No, that's cool. <laughs> 400 years of slavery, 200 years of America as a nation. Right. So that's like 100-something years of slavery while America was a full-form sure, nation. actual country. Yeah. More so. I'm a history major. I should do better. But... <laughs> Killing it. Um, so we, we take that term, slave. Mm-hmm. Slaves obey your masters. And we project our 400-year history on it. When what was... Again, the Bible's not saying slavery is right. No. But also Paul's understanding of the institution of slavery in the Roman Empire was far far different and he is not giving a a yay or nay no actually. on it actually the if you read the whole story of the bible the bible never ever says that slavery or oppression of any kind is okay because when you do that you're robbing the dignity of an image bearing creature right. created in the image of god and so you could argue that the bible never condones slavery however slavery was a reality for someone like paul and so Paul was talking to Christians who were also slaves. Right. Hey, if you're going to embody Jesus, right. you're going to obey your master. Right. And the reason is that as opposed to using power or as opposed to gaining power right. uh, through violence or through... Uh, I'm going to subjugate myself. Exactly. I'm going to subjugate myself to you. It's exactly. a stance Jesus it's a, took. It's a power move. Right. Yeah. So in the Bible, the biblical story is... Power is not over violence and force. Mm. Power is I'm going to lay down my life right. for someone else. So whether they're my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, a foreigner, a right. widow, right. Um, someone in power over me, right. I'm laying my life down for them because of the example Jesus gave to me. Right. And so reading the Bible with that lens, I think, takes away some of that. Right. But again, I think it's also, it, it is a fair critique of Western Christianity and Western civilization. Absolutely. So next question, let's hit it. Um, how does race as a social construct affect us, and how does it affect our understanding of our identity in Christ? Yeah, in Christ. So okay, race as a social construct. So I think if you're new to this table, new to this conversation, um, race is a social construct. Right. What does that mean? Right. Well, essentially, we invented race. Right. right? It's a human invention. Right. Um, the Bible argue the Bible argues that race is a race is a human invention. Right. We're all made in the image of God. Right. Um, after the fall is right. when we start to divide into other people groups and begin to oppress each other because of that. Right. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So so yeah. So that's yeah. What, when we say race is a social construct. There's actually humans are humans. Mm-hmm. We have created these pocket groups and ascribe terms and labels to them. And yes, there are different cultures and different ethnicities of people that embody those cultures. But the idea of there's different races of human beings is right. an invention of our own. Right. Uh, so how has that affected our understanding of our identity in Christ? So interesting. Hmm. Um, how? So if, if the question is how should we then approach our identity right. given Christ so, now? So I have two questions. So if race is a social construct, yeah, but the culture and the I think there's two parts. I think how do I embrace my background and culture and who I am as a human? So like my story. So if I'm from, so my family's from Puerto Rico, and then beyond there they were from Europe. Mm-hmm. Like how do I embrace that 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 part of my history? Right. But at the same time, in the light of who I am as a believer. Mm. 
Um, I think that uh, when when Paul speaks about uh, our identity in Christ, um, he takes all these labels of the day, man, woman, Jew, Gentile, uh, and says that they were all one in Christ, right? Right. So he brings them all together. It's this multi-ethnic, multi-faceted right. family of God. Exactly. Um, so I think he's he's making a hierarchy or like a leveling system of your identity. Yeah. So it's my 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 identity in Christ comes first. Exactly. Above all. Above everything. That's that's who I am. I am found in Christ. I am a child of God. I am uh, an image-bearing human being. Right. Right. From there, uh, I have my culture. Yeah. Right? Um, I have, you know, my, the food that we eat. I'm the Dominican, background, yeah. Right. I'm Dominican and Puerto Rican, so arroz con habichuela y gandule. Like, right. that's what we eat, right? Like, that's, that's us. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, th- I think yeah, to, it kind of all boils down to that my identity in Christ is my identity. Right. And so my racial identity, right. my ethnic identity, my geographic identity, right. my socioeconomic identity, right. all those things are then submitted to God. And so I no longer primarily define myself by those. I don't, I don't throw them out. I don't, all of a sudden I'm not who I am. No, no, you're still who you are. But everything all of who you are now is submitted to who you are in Jesus. Right. And ultimately, that is your defining identity. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think we think that question is more complicated than it is. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think there's aspects to walking that out. I think that, yeah, I think the practical, right, is is difficult. But then I also think that it's, it's very impactful. Um, not only for cultural identity, but for a bunch of things. Yeah. Right, like... Um, I like to do certain things, uh, but my identity in Christ says I probably can't do those things anymore. Uh, right, I'm a new creation. R- right, so, ah, like, what do I do? Uh, but then also I feel like there, there becomes, uh, in a social understanding of my identity, for example, as a person of color, you're taught in society that your cultural identity is less than. Right. Right. Um, so my cultural identity says I'm less than, or for people, uh, or for white people, essentially, you're taught that you're more than. What do I do now? Is in Christ. Exactly that I'm yeah. in Christ. So I think in Christ, I think if you're if you've been taught that your culture, socioeconomic identity, whatever, was less than Christ says, no, no, you're you're an image bearing creation I have created, and I come along. Jesus come the person of Jesus comes right. along and elevates your entire identity to one who is a son, a daughter, a child of God. For those who think they're superior. And better because of maybe their background or socioeconomic background. The Bible says, no, 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 no. You are above no one. Mm. You sit alongside your brothers and sisters as image-bearing human. Your background or your culture or your paycheck does not empower you over others. Matter of fact, you have a responsibility now to help those in need. So I think it's like the Jesus, someone said this great line, um, the, the the ground evens out at the foot of the cross. Right. And so whatever different levels or identities you had before, all of those are sanctified and beautified at the cross, but it's also a great leveling field. Right. Um, where none is superior. None is superior because we're all sinners. Right. And we all need Jesus. Mm. And we're all made in God's image. Right. Great.
Um, yeah, so I think that that kind of that settles that one. Where, where, yeah. where should we go uh, So here's one question, uh, kind of going back to practical application. Of, it's, it's what is the role of the church in social justice? Um, so what do we do? And I know we've kind of tackled it, you know, identifying uh, with the pain of others, right? And then taking systematic steps towards that. However, I think there's a little bit more we can say. Um, and the reason is I Go think that it. the question comes from... Uh, historical ones where the church either has pioneered nothing. or has said nothing. Yeah. Um, and I, I and I would just want to go on the record and say this um, that ooh on the record on the record that's fancy right yeah <laughs> fancy talk there. So the the church let me let me back up. God stands for righteousness and he stands for justice. Right. And the only way you can have righteousness is by having justice. Right. And the only way you can have justice is by having righteousness. Right. So I think that uh, the thing that makes the church different from the rest of the world is that we have both. Mm. Righteousness and justice. And that's what we see in the cross, right? Mm -hmm. God gets his justice, right? He, He sees his world become better and also those who have harmed his good world uh, be brought to justice and actually have to pay for that mistake. Yeah. However, we get righteousness. And the reason that happens is because all that debt goes to Jesus and we now get right relationship with God yeah. because of what Christ has done. Um, so when all, all of that to say, right, uh, when churches don't take a stand on justice, on... They are not being righteous. They are not being righteous. They are not helping bring right relationship between people or I would even take it a step further, bring right relationship between people and God. Because mm. if I'm harming my fellow brother and sister... The love of God is not in me. Exactly. Love of God is not in me. Yeah. So the role of the church is to bring both righteousness and justice. We have a lot of people in our day and age uh, who are very passionate. I think our generation, in fact, yeah, is passionate very passionate about, about justice. About bringing justice, justice, justice. But you need justice. to be right. You need righteousness. But we, exactly. We have no righteousness. We have no reconciliation between groups of people. Right. So that's why we still won't see justice truly until we bring righteousness as well. But yeah. then we have other churches who focus only on righteousness and only on oh let's let's just not say anything what's what's not going oh, to upset they'll people? say they'll say like this like hey we're just we're just all about reconciliation yeah. and that's a very nice way of saying we don't want to really address racism. Yeah. We just everyone. Why can't we all just get, get along? along? Right. Yeah, and black so that's people not real. get over it. Yeah, white people, you're fine. Yeah, don't like feel let's bad. just get over it. Let's, right. And that's not real justice. Justice, no. restorative justice says no. We're going to address the problem. We're going to see the problem, and then we're going to do something about that problem so that justice is served, so that the oppressed are lifted up right. out of their situation. Right. And that eventually, that injustice is called out and made to answer for itself. Mm-hmm. That's ultimately the promise of the Bible. Right. Is that one day, all human evil will have to answer. Right. I think it's kind of like a preview of our next series when we do on heaven and hell. Yeah. But like people have an issue with a God that would allow something like hell to exist. But ultimately, God doesn't love anybody or care about justice if he doesn't ultimately have an answer for evil. Right. Exactly. Because people cause harm. So if the church is, oh, let's just reconcile and all be friends. Mm -hmm. 
but doesn't advocate for justice, it's not true justice. It's not true justice. Or true righteousness. Right. Or hmm. or if we're just, hey, justice, 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 let's fight the power. Right. Let's let's overturn the tables. Let's do all this kind of stuff. Right. Let's march, let's protest, but we're not willing to to for, work for yeah, forgive. Forgive. Right. And to walk the hard road of ultimately, even for the oppressor, I have to lay my life down mm-hmm. and show mercy and right. grace. Then you don't really get true righteousness either. Right. And ultimately, you know, you don't get true justice. Exactly. So, exactly. And that's the thing. They, they work in tandem. Um, so if we miss either step, we are completely off. And I mm. think historically, we've seen that. Right. 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 So what is the role of the church in social justice to bring righteousness and to bring justice right to be the kingdom of god mm-hmm. which is supposed to be this model for the rest of the world mm-hmm. um, we're supposed to be a city on the hill pointing people to the one who came and saved us yeah. redeemed us yeah. and ultimately is going to redeem the entire world and if we fail to bring righteousness into into embody righteousness mm-hmm. Or fail to act in justice, we fail to point people to the Savior. Right. I think that that's a great segment, uh, or, or a segue, pardon, um, to that sounds awesome, right? The church is meant to bring righteousness <laughs> and justice. We're supposed to call things out, right? And we're supposed to say when, when, when people are, are, are being racist, we're supposed to call it out. When uh, there's a group of people who are being systematically... And then when they repent, receive them. Exactly. And then when those people who are causing uh, 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 pain repent, we're supposed to, exactly, we're supposed to receive them. Uh, we're supposed to do all that. So why is the church so segregated? Segregated in terms of views on this issue or like literally? Literally. Why is 11 o'clock on well, Sunday? Well, segregated day hour. in America. Yeah. MLK reference. Exactly. Um, okay. I'm going to speak from two sides of my mouth. Sweet. One, the benefit of the doubt side of me. Mm-hmm. All ministry is contextual. Mm-hmm. So if I live in a predominantly black neighborhood, then it will be weird if white people were there. Right. Because they, they don't live in there. the area. Right. So my, my ministry contextualizes itself to the area. And so if, you're a, if your neighborhood is an entire white or Latin or Asian population, mm-hmm. then your your church isn't segregated by choice. It's You're just reaching the population. Sure. However, yeah. the other side of that coin is there are people who intentionally make sure their Sunday gatherings or their church communities are acceptable for certain people only, and be, it's be, the reason why it still exists is because the tenets of slavery and racism are still alive, and some of it's still alive in our pews and pulpits. Mm. That's the reality. Right. So why is church segregated on a Sunday? Is because I want to worship with people like me and maybe not have to deal with people who are not like me. So that's the other side. Of, that's the other nasty side of that coin. The other right. side is like a very practical, like, hey... If everyone in your neighborhood is Latin, right. then you'll have a Latin church. Right, and you yeah. have a Spanish only service. Like right. that makes you're, sense. You're okay. Right. But however, if I'm saying, hey, I don't want any other people groups in my church, I only want my fellow Latinos mm. because I'm distrustful of maybe 
Middle Eastern Americans or mm. Middle Eastern people, and we're going to keep them out of our church because we don't trust them, then that's deliberate segregation, and yeah. that sadly happens in American church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that... Why, um, though? Why? I think it's uh, it's habit for us. Um, so I think our natural disposition to be with people like us. Right, yeah. And especially in the United States, because that's how our country was built. Right. Right, that's just, that's how it was. Um, we had a we few... live in a segregated society. Exactly. Uh, and that is both social as well as political, meaning uh, there are political reasons that uh, people groups are separated. Right. Right, like there, there are very obvious uh, wage disparities, right, that right. distinguish between groups. Like literal city design. Yeah, city design, absolutely. New York City... And partially, like, the projects were designed to keep minorities in one pocket areas of the city. Right. That's what what they were designed for. Away from other groups, or from white people, if we're being more explicit. Like, yeah. So, um, I think that partly uh, it, it's that, it, it's, it's social and it's political, right? It's that black churches uh, and churches where, where they're predominantly people of color in general... Tend to have less money, right? Right. Tend to have uh, communities in which, and in the beginning, were safe havens. Yes, and and still are. Yeah. You know, I'm definitely not saying they aren't. Um, but but because the political and social divides are there, also now follows the contextualization of these communities as well. Yeah. So, what you're saying on on the double sided coin? Yeah, I agree with. However, I do think that. That they speak to each other, right? Right. The reason that my my ministry would be contextualized for people of color is because, socially speaking, uh, people of color are relegated to this one area. Yeah. So, yeah, our church is going to look this way because we're all relegated to this area. Yeah. Right. So, um... I think mm. it's I think it's really... I think it's really weird. I do think it's something that we need to address because the church is one body. Absolutely. I think, right. um... You look at... You look at even the early church, mm-hmm. Paul had to address this because there were Jewish Christians who were trying to impose their Jewish customs mm-hmm. on Gentile Christians and it was causing literal, literal church splits in these communities. Right. Um, and Paul has to remind them, no, 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 you're one body. All those things, all those difference makers you thought you had, no, not anymore. You're one people. You're one community, you're one, you're one group of people. And I think what happens is, is that I think especially in, in large evangelical settings, people of color are allowed in as long as you keep your, 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 your culture at the door. So right. you're going to worship like us, yeah. you're going to act like us, you're going to talk like us, don't use any slang. Right. Don't use, like, that's, a very, that's a super stereotype. Right. But it's a stereo. Oh, but it's it's real. Our type of music. Our know, type. Every, it's all music, be folk. culture. Yeah. Um, <laughs> folk or rock music. <laughs> we're gonna do folk or rock music. You're gonna talk properly. Right. Yeah. Um, because apparently there's a way to talk properly. Right. Yeah. That's a whole other whole other conversation. Conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so you can you can worship with us as long as you look like us or act like us, yeah. and all those things that make you uniquely 
all those things that God has made beautiful and unique in your culture, we're calling ugly and not good. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, a And remnant. we're calling our culture God's way. Right. Ooh. Our way of worship is how God intended it. So, um, right. you know. Which, again, I think it's just showing a reflection of right. our society. So, why are churches segregated? Simply because I think we have a lot of disobedient churches. Mm. I think because we're human. Yeah. And if we haven't fully submitted ourselves to Jesus, then we. St- I'll, I'll. This might. And I. If this offends somebody, I am so sorry. But kind of happy it, it does. Um. If you're busy thinking about this kind of stuff, and you're busy looking at other cultures and say, "Oh, I don't know if Jesus would like that," mm-hmm. and. I. I would. I would heavy argue how impacted by the gospel narrative are you that you're busy nitpicking someone else's culture and saying they have to conform to your culture to worship with you right versus embracing the common grace revealed in their culture Mm -hmm. and the beauty of how jesus is revealed in their culture and experience in their culture rather than embracing that as something beautiful and worth having in your community, why are you so busy trying to make people look and act like you? Right. That is another form of the human condition that Jesus wanted to eradicate. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's a huge claim. I think we're both... Because I, I, I think I, I agree with you that yeah. you need to look at... You have to look at how, how much you really believe the gospel. Yeah. Like, and... The gospel, that's the gospel, not the gospel as we say, as we say it is. The good news about Jesus, the fact that Jesus, that God became man, died, and gave himself up for a multi-ethnic group of people, for the whole world. For all of humanity, that we're all adopted into the family of God. Exactly, the fact, so that that historical fact, right, whether that's affected you or not, you think can be seen in how people... Practice. Yeah, how people practice. That sounds an awful lot like First John, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't read First John, it's really short. It's uh, a great read. It's a great read. Um, <laughs> but one of the main um, ideas is that your love for people... Is a direct result, representation. Yeah, of your impact and your love for God. So love for God, but... Also, how you've been impacted by God and his message. Yeah. So, churches who reject, harm, stifle, quiet um, people's voices because of their culture, I would question your... I, I would question how much you believe this thing. Listen, it says this. First John chapter 1, literally... Oh, sorry. Chapter 2, out the gate, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister... Still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And um, whether it's your upbringing, your background, um, that causes you to see fellow believers as other, um, the Bible would argue that you are blinded. To the revelation that we are one family, one body, 
and we are for each other. And matter of fact, we lay down our lives for each other and we embrace the beauty of other cultures that have been, that are within, that are experiencing Jesus alongside us. Yeah. Wow. Big claim. I agree. <laughs> um, so, I mean, not controversial or anything. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's not controversial. It's send Bible. me emails. Uh, <laughs> to the at gmail.com. Right. That's not it's a real not email. not even a real email, but, you know. But you can send them. It makes you feel better, I guess. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, no, right? Um, oh, it's what funny. else we got here, Ryan? I mean, there's a bunch of good questions people submitted. And again, guys, thank you again for submitting your yeah. questions. Sorry if we didn't get to all of them. Yeah, we're already at 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, so we don't want to go over an hour. But let's see if we can pick one one good one. Um, I mean, someone asked did the Bible condone slavery. I think we already said no, it didn't. Well, we said American slavery and slavery in general, no. Um Paul just was... It's a reality. It's the same thing with, like, does the Bible condone having multiple wives? No. No, it doesn't. Um, the Bible's pretty clear. Right. And it's just about how we read the Bible. Yeah. Just because the Bible says something about a certain someone, it's about how we read bi- biblical characters, too. Right. Like, biblical characters, besides Jesus, aren't a vision for how you should live. They're a mirror to show you your own frailty and humanity. Right. And so if date Solomon, the wisest man on earth... Ha- instituted slave labor in israel mm-hmm. the bible doesn't say he's right or good but the bible just points out that he did it even that's not something he was supposed to do he wasn't even supposed to amass an army so there you go yeah it's another thing so <laughs> so, so it's just but that's just about reading the bible and yeah the bible never says once that that's good um what else what are the good questions we had um let's look through these notes Ooh, balancing social justice and evangelism. Right, that was a great Because question. for some reason in church we think these two things are in competition. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. Um, well, so here's here's what I've heard. Go for that, it. That um, the reason the church doesn't protest is because we want people to come to our churches. I feel like that's a... I feel like... Wait, I feel like that's a weird argument. Why? Um... Because I feel like the only time we say that is we're concerned when people in power, we don't want to disenfranchise them. We don't want to, yeah, rattle the boat. Right. Yeah, we want to be... Politically... Politically meek and mild and... Correct. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, man, I don't see evangelism and social justice in comp... I feel like social justice is a direct partner with evangelism because how can you preach the good news about jesus and not advocate for the oppressed yeah i mean so here let me make it a bit more of a real concern um go for it during the civil rights movement there were several um prominent white leaders um who lost congregations because of their stance because they stood with someone like dr martin luther king um, so they lost entire groups of people. They lost their jobs. They had separations in their family um, because they they took, a stand. they took a stand for justice. So sure. So what we're asking, or what you're saying, is either or there will be moments where either I have to stand for social justice and protesting and and making a fuss about social issues, or I can just stay quiet. Teach people the gospel, hope that they get it, keep my... Well, okay, hold up. Yeah. Because 
if that was the reaction, did those people even understand the gospel? That's a good question. So I think, okay, I think sometimes in church we have, we, we come to the issue, we, we don't want to offend people, we want to keep people. But here's the thing, the Bible is a bit offensive. Like, I, I, I hate to be the one to drop the bomb <laughs> on everybody, but the Bible forces you to make a decision. It's it's not some pretty book that... It, the Bible forces you... It impacts your life. It forces you to change yeah. and shape your views and your worldview and who it does. you are. And so, like, there are moments when the gospel says, I need to stand for the oppressed. And the greatest lesson I can preach to my congregation is to stand for them. And even if I lose them, that's their choice. But I did teach them about the gospel in that moment. Hmm. Another uh, another strong point. If you are a church leader, or you want to be, yeah, I can't um, even... there is no conflict between evangelism and justice. Because hopefully, your good news message has justice in it. Right, and again, like we're we're not experts. No. We're not. We haven't. We're not huge church leaders. Been in ministry a million years, and I know it's it's a lot harder probably to lead a church. Um, and I'll be the first one to claim ignorance to some of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, Same. but being in ministry and yeah. being um, being a over getting to oversee like a a youth and a young adult ministry, um, I can't see myself not advocating for justice and maybe it's because maybe i'm speaking from a place of that it's the popular thing to do right now yeah it but is. in 10 years if it's not the popular thing would i still do it i feel like i ha- i'm under compulsion of by the holy spirit to speak about it right. because it's the narrative of the story we're claiming leads to salvation right. and the one that impacted me like yeah like jesus saved me like i don't right. deserve it like i don't get to pick and choose when I stand for Jesus. Yeah. And I think that's the issue. I think people are thinking, well, you're standing for an issue. You're putting these issues above Jesus or the go- or the proliferation yeah. of the gospel. Yeah. But no, I, I think it's my passion for the gospel that I stand for these yeah. issues. Because I think Jesus would stand for these issues. And and that's I think that's a common myth that I'll, I'll, I'll agree with. Is that I don't, we don't, I would argue... Uh, believers don't uh, stand for social justice um, because of our own personal convictions necessarily. We stand because we we don't we don't stand for for these things despite the gospel. Uh, we stand for these things because of the gospel. Right. Right. And I think again going back to the gospel is that here's I'll I'll play the other side of that coin. Be careful. In your quest for justice, that you do not forget the gospel. Right. Because I think it's very easy to get caught up in advocating for justice. Right. But lose sight that the that the vein in which we advocate for justice is through the message of the good news of Jesus. Right. And so, we don't only stand for the oppressed, but we show mercy to the oppressor. Right. We don't just pray for the impoverished, but we intercede for those who have misused their power. Right. Because, so, I mean, we look at what God did. Right? Yeah. And we look at that example. God didn't treat sin and our error, our wrong, our, our issues as okay, right? He crushed Jesus. 
Yeah. Like, he dealt with it very severely and seriously. Uh, however, he offered the offenders of that freedom. Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Exactly. It's insane. I mean, it goes back to, again, in Paul's writings, we wrestle, wrestle not against flesh and blood. Right. And I think someone, someone brought up a question, and we can't get so much into it, about racism and, and its ties to spiritual evil. Right. And, um, as a principality. The, as a principality. The Bible talks about, to explain what principality is, yeah. the Bible talks about dark, evil, spiritual forces that just like God is real, there's these evil, that evil is incarnate, and there's these spiritual forces that have been plaguing mankind since Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Yeah. And so... 3. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. But, um... And so we... We have to understand that evil, while it's directly tied to our human condition, God also sees it as an entity... On its own. On its own. Right. And so as believers, we don't attack people no. per se. We witness to them the good news about yeah. Jesus. But in doing so, we are attacking and pointing out the spiritual evil mm. that, that exists since the snake whispered, did God really say? Right. A beautiful um, uh, image that, that uh, the Dr. Martin Luther King uh, would say, or, or, or I'll give you just a basic concept, is that... Seeking justice and seeking righteousness wasn't just for the black person. Right. It was to help the white person as well. Yeah. Right. To save their soul. Right. Because they're participating in something that's not only harming me as a person of color, but it's harming them as a white person because they're losing their soul. Right. uh, By participating. Um, So what we see here is that... Uh, they are no longer the enemy. They're no longer the person I fight. Do we hold them responsible to their actions? Absolutely. Yeah. However, um, they are not the enemy. Right. Right. They are a victim, almost, of sin and evil. Of their own making. Like we all Absolutely. are. Exactly. Like we all are. Of their own making. Don't... We are all know. born into this condition with no exactly. choice. Exactly. I think that's why we have to kill the narrative of, like, you can... There's, that there's good people in the world. No, everyone's fallen and broken and full of sin yeah. to varying degrees. Different degrees, yeah. But, but we are all in need of the same salvation mm-hmm. and saving grace. And so as we advocate for justice, we keep that in mind. That the oppressor is also being oppressed by sin and death. Yeah. And we have also been called to give them life. And exactly. light in Jesus. And that's what comes to them, unfortunately. Right. That's yeah. what's awaiting death. So as it's a believer. All. Exactly. As a as a believer who's been snatched from that, it is more my responsibility to reach them. And I, I think Jesus embodies that mm-hmm. on his road to the cross. Mm-hmm. Dying for the very people who are yelling, crucify him. And oppressed him and put him on the cross. Dying for the Roman officials who are oppressing his people. Laying down his life. Not just for the oppressed. Mm-mm. But saying, no, no, no. Humanity, which has betrayed me, spat in my face since the dawn of since time. Since the beginning. I'm laying my life down for you. And when we preach the gospel in, in its fullness in that story. 
you can't help but walk away with justice being a part of that story. Right. Justice is there because Jesus suffers, but reconciliation is there because he rises again. And that's, that's definitely a way to end. <laughs> that was a line. <laughs> Guys, we love you. Tune in next time. Peace. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. The Know-It-Alls are a community for the curious that we want you to be involved in. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Know-It-Alls. Again, that's TH3 Know-It-Alls, where you can learn about the topics that we're covering and how you can join in on the conversation. You can also become a part of The Know-It-Alls by becoming one of our supporters on Patreon.com. Again, that's Patreon.com backslash The Know-It-Alls. We're looking forward to continuing our conversation with you. Stay curious.